what's going on everybody welcome back to another episode at the burn down today's a very special one we are here in stanford cigar lounge in connecticut and we are for a historic episode this is our very first in-person interview and we couldn't think of no other guests that could be better for our first person interview than nba all-star six man of the year and overall new york nick legend mr john starks Thanks for allowing us to come in. Yeah, thank you for coming. Yeah, man, it's it's a nice classy joint here. I really uh, this is uh, what it's all about for the burn down. So we're glad yeah. to be in here. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, how long have you uh had this? Uh, it's been about ten years now. Ten years. Wow. About ten years. So how did you get into cigars? Like, what what was the the journey? Did somebody introduce you? Did you just kind of pick it up on your own? Oh, funniest funniest thing is that uh, I was playing golf. I'm a golfer, and. Um, as you know, the type of player I was, you know, all hyped up and passionate <laughs> after the court. So, and golf is totally opposite in that. And so I was playing and I was getting frustrated with the game and uh, the way I was playing and what have you, throwing clubs and and what, and what uh, one of the guys I was playing with was smoking a cigar. He said, you need to smoke a cigar. Like, man, I don't want to smoke a cigar. I never smoked a cigar. He like, not try it, man. It'll, it'll relax you. And so he was right. It relaxed me on the golf course. And uh, it's been like 2000. And I've been smoking them ever since. Wow. You know? yeah, it's funny you say it because it's like that's one of the first things that we always pack when you're going to play around a golf. Yeah. It's cigars. It's what am I going to bring? What am I yeah. going to drink? And I remember a specific story of shooting the worst front nine I've ever shot in my life. Yep. And I'm like, what's going wrong? Why, why am I hitting them so bad? And then. Sure shit, light up a cigar, and then I had the best back nine ever. <laughs> so, yeah, man, Are those audio levels working all right. Yeah, it's okay. I can't, I can't see. But um, yeah, I mean, for for me, golf and cigars is like cookies and milk. Yeah. Um, I can't. I played golf a couple months ago without a cigar. I tried to do it, couldn't do it. Yeah. I was terrible. I couldn't relax. Like you said, I couldn't relax. I was getting pissed off. So I said, oh, there's a reason why I like to smoke a cigar every single time I play golf. So it makes sense. So before we dive deeper into the interview, we got to light up a cigar because this is a cigar podcast. We have our drinks poured already. Thank you very much for the Macallan. That's what we're drinking for everybody that's watching. Um, But what we're smoking today is... So for the background, we've actually met you before at New York Cigar Weekend, and we somehow won two of your boxes during a round. <laughs> Somehow we both won. So, um, so I believe I have the Ecuadorian Connecticut. Yes. Perfect. So which I'm excited for. And then I have, uh, this looks like a Maduro. Yeah, a Brazilian Maduro. Brazilian Maduro. Yeah. So we are going to light these up. Okay. Yeah, so you already, you're already ready to yeah, go. I'm so already, I already go. So are you smoking the same cigar as me? Is that it? I am smoking the same one. All right. One. So is it yeah, safe it to is. say this is your favorite one? Yes, it is. Oh, oh baby. I'm, I'm pumped up now. So I'm excited to smoke this one because I had that one the first time that we met and I haven't smoked this one yet. So I'm excited about this one. So while we light these up, uh, the first question we have for you is, so everybody knows John Starks, the basketball player. Yes. Who is John Starks, the person? Mm. What are you about? Do you have any hobbies? Do you have any, you know, other things you like outside of basketball? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I I love playing golf. I'm an avid golfer. Um, and then I'm involved in a couple of business ventures, uh, one called Total Body Board. It's a um, uh, fitness board uh, just with resistance training. Uh, me and uh, Charles Austin, who's the uh, founder of the Total Body Board, uh, his uh, fitness uh, 
center is down in uh, San Marcos, Texas, called So High Sports Fitness. And uh, he was a world-class uh, Olympic high jumper. He uh, set the Olympic record at 7 feet 10 inches. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> 7 know, feet 10 yeah, inches? Yeah, Yikes. Yeah. Uh, so needless to say, he could dunk a basketball too. Yeah, right? <laughs> basketball pretty easy. Uh, uh, he set the record down in Atlanta uh, during the Olympics in 96, I believe. Wow. Uh, Does that record still hold today? Yes, it still holds, wow. holds today. And uh, the funniest thing about him is that he uh, trained himself. You know, he, he came off of a uh, torn uh, ACL uh, a couple of years earlier, and they said that he would never jump again. And uh, so he started training with uh, resistance training uh, bands and uh, came Got back to and it. set the world record. You know, the Olympic record, just amazing. And, you know, he came up with this idea one night. He said he was just sleeping, and all of a sudden it just came to him while he was sleeping. And uh, and it's an incredible piece of equipment. You can throw away all your machines and what have you because you can do over a 1,000 uh, exercises uh, with this total body board. And it's great because kids at five years old to a Grown adults at 80 year year old can work on his board. It's kid friendly and it's uh, easy on your joints, unlike uh, machine weights, where it affects your joints and what have you. This deals strictly with the muscle, and so we truly excited about uh, this product to uh, truly get it out to the uh, to the uh, general public. And uh, we have uh, professional teams using it in every sport as well as uh, college and, and, you know, high school on down. So it's an incredible uh, piece of equipment. So wow. is it is it a platform that you attach resistance bands to? I mean, can you describe yeah. it a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's a board. Uh, we have two boards. One is a 7-foot board and one is a 10-foot board. 10-foot is a commercial, commercial board. Uh, the 7-foot is for home use. Uh, you can have up to... You know, he didn't have about 10 people working on it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which makes it great. And uh, you can do Pilates on it. Uh, he has a, a slide board uh, that you put on there uh, that attached to it, and you can slide back and forth like hockey players love it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. To, to do the, the lateral yeah, movements. Lateral That's pretty movement cool. And what have you. And so uh, they're having a lot of great success with it. Uh, we're excited about what the future holds for it. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to get that out to the public, as well as I just got involved uh, uh, with this uh, new invention called, uh, uh, what is it? uh, it's a uh, paintbrush uh, to do edges, uh, to be able to do edges. Uh, really? Just got the patent on it. Uh, so uh, we're excited about that. To get it, we just got into Lowe's, and we're looking to get another uh, wow. big, uh, was it like a, like a right angle brush to kind of yeah. get it in the corners? Yeah, so you don't have to tape up the walls? Yeah, you don't have to tape up the walls. Oh, that's pretty yeah. cool. Wow. Yeah. So uh, we're excited about that. I just, I just got involved in it. Do a lot of people come to you with business ideas? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I can, so many I'm sure. business <laughs> ideas come to you and you can just kind of pick and choose which ones you think uh, that's going to, you know, really work. So you, got, you kind of got your own little shark tank going on. Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> yeah, right? so, and so how do you decipher, like, what are some of your, like, deciding factors for a business that you want to kind of get into? Yeah, I, I see if it's, if it's uh, truly what the general public want. 
Okay. Because that's what it's going to take in order to get it out. I like inventions. Uh, uh, I like um, things that are new. New, yeah, pretty much new. Uh, that I think it can do very well in the uh, in the uh, general market. Uh, so, not all of them work. You know, I didn't have some that fail, but you know, yeah, like me, I continue to keep trying. Oh yeah. yeah. That's well, for, I always say, you know, yeah, it's that's for nine, sure. what do they say? Nine out of 10 businesses fail. That's why you start 10, yep. right? <laughs> one of them's got to work. Yeah, it's, a number, it's a numbers game, just like anything yeah, exactly. else. Right? Cold calling, man. Number, you, you're big cold callers. Oh, yeah. It's a numbers game. Just keep, yeah. keep it's going. Every, it's numbers with everything. Girls, businesses, everything. It's a numbers game. That's all it is. <laughs> you got to do it. So I do want to drink this McCown. So we just want to yes. say a quick cheers to you, cheers, Mr. John Starks. Thank you. It's a great holiday thing. Yes. yes. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Whatever whatever you celebrate. Hope it's a merry one. Uh, but again, John, thank you very much for having us here. Thank you, thank you for the McAllen. That's smooth. That's good stuff right there. Oh, God. It's like drinking juice. So, the Legend Series Cigars. This is, so, I'm assuming this is another business venture that yeah. came to you. Um, is it your par- your partner, Gary? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how did that come to fruition? Well, we was over in DR doing some uh, charity work. Gary has a, a, a foundation uh, and one of his, uh, Gary's originally in the auto part industry. Okay. So one of his customers is Dominican and asked, would Gary come over there and, and help, you know, um, bring supplies over there from school supplies to baseball equipment and what have you. And, um, you know, he started the, the foundation called Cheerish, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, what's the name of the foundation? <laughs> Children of Arrows okay. Foundation. And uh, so he started that foundation to be able to, you know, get all the supplies. And he just went around uh, to his customers and said, do you have any old baseball uh, equipment? And most people that have children, you know, once they've grown and yeah. they still have gloves, bats, and stuff laying around the house. And he just collected all this stuff, started sending down, um, you know, boxes. Then it became crates of uh, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And um, and so that's how he got kind of started over there. Then uh, he asked, would I come over there and do a basketball clinic? And so I said, sure. You know, I always wanted to go to DR and just experience that. I heard it was a beautiful country. And went over there, did a basketball um, clinic over there for the children over there. And then I told him, Gary, we in, because Gary didn't smoke cigars. Yeah. And so I said, we in <laughs> uh, tobacco country. Yeah. So I have to go to a factory. And so one of his, uh, the guy who uh, brought him over there, uh, say, I have a, a cousin that's, um, uh, that works for, he was a master blender. Sure. And so he worked for uh, one of the uh, factories over there. So we went to the factories and uh, showed me around. I was just blown away. How it's crazy, right? It takes to roll one cigar. You know, it's just amazing. If you it's an incredible if you process. If you haven't never yeah. done it, do it. <laughs> Go over there to a factory and, and just see how a cigar is made. And so went over there to the factory and uh, they brought me in there to the rollers and they asked me, did I want to roll a cigar? And I'm like, sure, I'll roll a cigar. <laughs> One of the most ugliest cigars. <laughs> ever yeah, it's not always the best your first time around. I did it too, it was yeah. miserable. I know, right? 
but I, I was just intrigued by the whole process, what it takes in order to uh, roll a cigar. Then we went to the tobacco fields and, you know, went into where they store all the bales of tobacco. Mm -hmm. Stuck my hand, they say, stick your hand in, in the bale. I couldn't believe how hot it was in there, inside wow. the bale when I stuck my hand in there. And they were telling me how long it takes in order to cure tobacco and what have you. And so... How hot was it when you... Oh, it was hot. Yeah. I mean, like almost burn your hand yeah, hot? <laughs> burn your hand hot. I really just could stick my hand really? in there for a little bit and had to pull it back Oof. out. All right. You know, but they flip it, flip it, flip it, flip it, flip it, continue to flip the bells and stuff like that. So I was blown away by that. Then Gary said, we started with one room in there. We used to sit in, in cause Gary owns this whole complex. And so we used to sit in, <coughs> in that room in there when we first started with this cigar line. And we were just thinking like, man, this would be a great room to, you know, open up. And cause we had guys coming in smoking and what have you. Then we just started with that one room then eventually expanded to another room. Then wow. ex expanded to this. <coughs> and another room and so we just kind of took our time with it then um gary said said let's roll back the master blender he said i always wanted to open up you know my own cigar company and he said there's a factory that just closed down called american cigar it just closed down we went up to saw the factory and everything was intact the presses everything was intact and it was in the heart of the tobacco field. And literally the workers was like from Lil, from me to you, basically. You wow. know, to ride across the street. And uh, Gary said, what'd you think? I was like, I don't, I don't know anything. <laughs> you know, the tobacco or selling or anything like that. He said, well, this guy knows business, you know, about the business and what have you. So we said, you know what? It's not gonna cost us nothing. It's cheap to do business down there, obviously. And uh, so we just got started with him and come to figure out he was great at what he does, but he wasn't a great businessman. And so we had to finally close down the, uh, the facility. And uh, the guy that he left said that he was looking for a partner. Right. And so Gary said, what do you think? I said, you know, we might well join up with him. You know, right, he, right. So he knows the business and what have you. And uh, so we joined up with him and Eventually, we got going and, and started, uh, you know, doing our own cigars and what have you, so right. selling it at the lounge, which was going very well. Then the um, the quality started to fall off. Quality and control, yeah. Yeah, quality control, as you know, with, with cigars, you have to be on top of the draw and what have you. And so um, we end up falling out of business with him. And then... Gary found another. He's persistent. Oh, it it looks that way. Very, very you need one of those guys. Yeah, yep. You need right. one of those guys. And so he found a, a, a roller over there uh, that rolls for Christoph's cigars. Oh, okay. And yeah, and he was terrific. And we've been rolling with him ever since. Wow. Yeah. So the Stanford Cigar Lounge started in that room back there. Yeah. And then it grew to this room and it grew to that room back there. Yeah. So, yeah. So for the people that are watching and listening... It's one room as soon as you walk in, and there's a big lounge in the second section, and there's another big lounge with a yeah. pool table. Yeah, that's so, my section. That's, that's my that's, section back there. That's his section. As soon as I right walked there. in, I was like, oh, this is where I'm going to be. They yeah. got the poker table. They got the pool table. They got the darts. I was like, I like this room. <laughs> it's a great spot. I mean, yeah. and I'm sure you, you host events here. You do all the yeah. sporting events. and Yeah, we, we do events. Uh, we do, uh, 
you know, cigar tasting. We do uh, liquor tasting. All right. <laughs> uh, Love we it. do, uh, you know, a number of people come in. They want to rent out the spot uh, for, you know, bachelor uh, parties. Sure. All kinds of things. So uh, we've been going very strong. We, we're happy. We got a great membership. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll continue to build on it, you know, year after year. Wow. And you've been in business for 10 years? About 10 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, kudos to 10 years. Yeah, cheers, cheers to 10 cheers years. To that. That's good, that's good stuff. Cheers to many more. Yeah. All righty. So, do you remember the first, what the first cigar you ever smoked was? No, I don't. You don't? No, I don't, because the guy gave it to me. I, you know, I, I don't know anything. <laughs> He's just like, here, cigar. smoke he this. Smoke this. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> it's funny, because like the cigar, like with beer we call it, or beer or liquor, whatever we call it, swing lube. Right? Yep. You're always yep. tight. You, cigar's kind of same thing, but I yep. guess you can't really call it swing yeah. lube. But yeah. same same idea, right? For sure. But, so so all right. So let I want to move into some sport questions too, because obviously I mean we got John Starks here. Yeah. Got to talk some basketball. Yeah. He's a I he's mean, a fellow collegiate basketball player I'm, as well. So, so I'm like, we gotta to, we gotta talk some basketball. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, what was it like to play in the NBA? During the 90s. I mean, the era of <laughs> tough defense, physicality. I mean, Pat Riley with his no layup defense, yeah. right? You come in the paint, you're getting bodied. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like to play in that era? Because today's era is a little bit different. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> you know, because that era resembled, you know, when you played on the playgrounds. Mm. That's cool. You know, Playgrounds is like rough basketball back then. Because, oh, yeah. As you know, you couldn't lose a game because if you lose a game, <laughs> you may not get back up. Yeah. You, know, you may not get big. <laughs> might as well know, pack up and go home. You <laughs> might as well pack up because, you know, you got people out there waiting. You know, sure. Everybody got games lined up and what have you. And so unless you was a very good player like I was, I always got, you know, guys waiting for me to lose so they could pick me up on the, on the team. So, <laughs> uh, But that's what – the, the 90 game was about is a physical uh, game. Uh, it was more of inside out. Now this is more of a wide open game mm-hmm. compared to the 90s. Everybody had low post players back then. Uh, obviously, we had one of the greatest ever, and Patrick Ewing on my team. Most definitely. But majority of guys had big men, seven footers on team. You don't see the seven footers like it was back then. Uh, yeah, they're all shooting threes now. Yeah, yeah and a little more skinnier, a little skinnier. Back then, you had, like, yeah, yeah, you had like big guys that were big, big guys. They were, yeah. they were girthy. Like, they, they played they, tree trunks. They, they, they yeah. the farthest shot they took was a free throw. That's like, right? <laughs> exactly. So the game is totally different, but it, it was fun, you know, playing against some of the greats, you know, the Michael Jordans, the Reggie Millers, uh, the Clyde Drexlers, the Mitch Richmonds. Uh, I can go on and on about the great players, Dominique Wilkins. You had so many, Akeem Olajuwon. You had so many great players back then. and But the game was definitely, you couldn't go down the paint. You know, as a guard, you knew you was going to get hit. The referee knew you was going to get hit. Uh, you know, you get knocked down on your on your tail and you get up. Referee look at you, go to the line. Yep. Get your free throw. Yep. You know what I mean? It wasn't like going to videotapes and all of that to figure out how hard you get hit. Let somebody just you know, do something else, you know, crazy and yeah. like that. Other than that, you pretty much just, you know, played the game hard and, and you competed hard. Uh, I thought 
especially back then, it brought out the passion in players. Mm. You know what I mean? Because it was so physical. You know what I mean? So no matter what team you was playing against, it could be the worst team in the league. They're going to play you hard. Yeah. And they're going to compete. And they're going to play you to the end. And so we didn't take no games off. You know, when teams came into the garden, we knew that they were going to bring their best game. Yeah, for No sure. matter what. Because what that, you know, New York was always the mecca of basketball. Mm. And so guys wanted to perform here. They wanted to play uh, because they know they can get noticed and, and get up in that in that bright light. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the fans and the knowledge of the fans here was just spectacular. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you that because, like, playing for the Knicks – you're playing at Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. the most famous arena on the planet. What was it like to play? You know, major because most people, some of the teams, they're lucky if they ever get to even play in the Garden, especially yeah. if you're a Western Conference team. Yeah. Yep. But you got to play there almost on a nightly basis. Yeah. I mean, what was it like with the fans? What was it like with that whole atmosphere? It was it was special, man. Uh, the energy in that arena, uh, especially during that time, because we, were, you know, the Knicks was just like. The team, mm-hmm. and uh, oh yeah, the energy in the city and the buzz about us was just incredible. And literally, I couldn't walk down the street. You know, I, I remember you know trying to go shopping, and people got wind yeah. of me, and people spotted me, and so I had to literally duck inside a shopping store, and they had to lock the doors, and I had to literally have uh, police come escort me out. You know what I mean? That's how crazy it was back then. Uh, but the energy in that arena is just so special. Uh, the fans and and when they got going defense, defense, yeah. defense, it was just like electric in, the, in there. And especially during the big games when we played Chicago, Indiana. Oh, Miami, I can imagine. You know, Charlotte when they was very good. You know, teams like that when the West Coast teams come, L.A., Portland and all that. It was just special. And fans literally would get to the game early for our shoot-around. Just to get a glimpse. Just to get a glimpse. You know what I mean? And it was just like, you know, nothing that I ever felt like going to other arenas. You know what I mean? New York is just about basketball. You have football, you have hockey, and they all great sports, but basketball was the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They always say that New York is is the the city's basketball. Yep. Like down south, football is a big thing, and right up north, hockey is a big thing. But when it comes to New York City, yeah. That's basketball. I mean, during the 90s, and it's you're top of the top in the NBA, and now hip-hop is like top of the game in the 90s. I mean, you, I've heard you mention songs with Biggie. We just found out Tribe Called Quest. Yeah. So, I mean. Which is it, very interesting. I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah. what's very interesting is that we interviewed somebody uh, a few days ago whose favorite band was Tribe Called Quest. Which you never heard of before. And I never heard of it, and then found out that they have a song with John Stark's reference. I'm like, wow, isn't that kind of funny how it... (laughs) So, but my question was, you know, I'm a big Biggie guy. I'm sure you got access before, but, you know, is the the line, and I got a story to tell about John Stark, or is it about someone else? (laughs) Not about me. You're not 6'5", I know that. I'm not 6'5", at all. No, it's not about me. Okay. Do you know who it's about? No, because <laughs> you know, or is that a no? I don't. Or yes, I do. I can't tell you. That's <laughs> probably one of those. It's probably one of those. There you go. Because <laughs> forever listening to that song, you know, I just played like, oh, that's funny, you know, yeah. New York Knicks. And then as we as we started getting close to coming, you know, I'm like, man, you know, 
could that be? I'm like, no, he's not 6'5". And then I just saw you on ESPN once and Bomani Jones asked yeah. you. And I'm like, all right, I'm not the only one that thinks yeah, this. So I, I just I just yeah. had to no, just put it out no, there. You got to ask. You got to ask the question. I mean, <laughs> yeah, come yeah, on, yeah. man. <laughs> now, have, you ever, no, it's not have you ever met Notorious B.I.G.? Never met. Oh, okay. That big guy rests his soul. Yeah. We got a chance to meet him. Yeah. Were you were you get like getting high fives from Spike Lee on the on the court floor like and any cool interactions with yeah, cool Spike, guys? Oh, Spike, the ultimate Knicks fan. Yeah, of course. Spike is just special in that way. You know what I mean? He started, I guess, up top at the blue seats, and he worked his way down. Yeah. And now he's courtside, and uh, Spike is one of those fans that is true blue all the way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I always tell the story about when he. Uh, when we was in game seven, game, excuse me, when we was playing the Indiana Pacers in 94, and we lost game five, and we had to go to Indiana in order to bring the game back to New York for game seven. So we had to win game six. And so Spike was obviously getting grief about that. He called us to lose that game, got Reggie going, and Reggie, yep, you know, I remember. Did. And, uh, but, when we ran out that locker room and I looked down at the end of the court and Spike was draped in Nick's color, whatever, I'm like, oh, we got this. Yeah. This guy, yeah, like, yeah. He's the only, he seemed like the only Knicks fan in the arena. He, he probably was. Yeah, he probably was. You're right. You're right. And we just came out and we played an excellent game and ended up winning game number six to bring it back to the garden. And it was a wrap. Once we wow. had to get back to the garden. But our whole mindset was to get back home that was the whole mindset going into that game because my question of mine was you know obviously you were a passionate player on the course you know what was my question I guess would be like if you had butterflies before a playoff game or in the finals like how did you switch your mentality to be like all right I gotta go into beast mode right now you know what were some of the things you thought of or you did to kind of get you there if if you're a competitor you're always gonna have butterflies I always had butterflies before every game Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That just gets your juices going. And, uh, you know, you you know you got a job to do. You know all the hard work that you put in in practice that you had to translate that to the game uh, once the game started. And uh, one thing about playing for Coach Riley, he had us well prepared. So no matter what situation uh, uh, came up on the court, we saw it in practice. Mm. And so when you – that prepared, you know, it's easy for you to go out there and perform and perform at your best because you're comfortable out there on the court. So, um, you know, I think playing underneath him probably made me the player that I was back during that time because, you know, he always put things on your mind as a as a, a player that you would probably wouldn't even think about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He always said that you had to pay attention to the smallest detail because the smallest details that get you beat. And you hear guys talk about that. You always hear coaches talk about yeah. that. Pay attention to details. And uh, it was evident in the success that we had that we took care of the small details. Yeah, it kind of goes back to, I don't know if you've ever seen Any Given Sunday with uh, with Al Pacino. Yeah. And he has that yep. big speech in the in yep. the locker room. He says, you know, every inch, every yard, you got to fight for every single thing because it doesn't matter. Because if you can't get the inch, if you can't get the yard, you're not getting the 10, 20 yards or in your mm-hmm. case, you exactly. know, in basketball terms. But that's a that's pretty uh, good philosophy, which yeah. is pretty interesting here. Yeah, and you think about it, especially with basketball, is that everybody always sees, you know, the last second shot, right? And Or they see whatever happened in the final 10 seconds and they say, oh, you know, that cost in the game. It's like, well, no, that didn't cost him the game. What about 
the yeah. 15 free throws they missed yeah. as a team? What about the yeah. offensive rebounds that they gave up? Yeah. What about yeah. the the not hedging on screens? Like all those little details that you say yeah. that if they would have done those things, they wouldn't have had to have a last second shot. You would have yeah. been up 15 or 20. Exactly. Everyone's an easy critic until they're put they're actually put in the, in the same <laughs> yep. shoes. You know what I yep. mean? So. So, so did you ever have any um, – like superstitions because i know a lot of sports guys a lot of athletes they all have these superstitions um that things that they do before games things that they wear during game time even meals that they eat the night before you know did you ever have any superstitions or, or things really, that you did i really didn't have superstitions uh, none that i could think of um you know probably the only thing that i i, I did you know before a game would get in a room and just kind of like shut out the noise if you ever been in a uh, professional uh, basketball locker room before the game, you got reporters going around. Oh yeah, I can imagine you got all kinds of stuff going on. And so, I used to get just get in a room and just kind of shut the lights off, lay on the table, and just kind of visualize what I need to do once I step out there on the court. More so, just kind of calm myself down because you come out for shoot around, and those juices get flowing and what have you. And yeah. so, I used to get in a room and literally like just zone out put jazz on uh, and uh, just kind of like relax yeah you know okay what i mean and, and use that visualization you know what i need to do once i step out on the court sometimes i used to get so relaxed i fall asleep <laughs> <laughs> hey that's not a bad thing <laughs> and the trainer used to come in there and like okay john get ready to start are you ready to play yeah. like he was just sleep, play, napping yeah. man so exactly so you listen to jazz yeah warming up because that's pretty interesting because we interviewed uh ex-jet eric coleman and i asked him a similar question like you know, do you listen? Did you listen to hip hop? Like, did you get pumped up? And he said, No, I would just listen to smooth R and B. Yeah. Because if even I listen classical, to, I think he said too, even, right? Maybe even classical, because he said in the locker room, if they have any kind of pump up music, you know, he might just get so worked up and get emotional, he can't really focus. Mm-hmm. So he would put on like smooth R and B and kind of just calm him down. So yeah. it's pretty interesting that you said that too. Um, and especially, you know, when you're going, like you said, in the in the locker rooms in the arenas, you go out. That's gonna hype you up, you know. You yeah, gotta listen. Exactly. You listen to the national anthem. You got the fans screaming. You're yeah. in the NBA yeah. playoffs. You're yeah. like, that's gonna hype you up, yeah, or you don't need to get any more hype than and that. That's what he said. <laughs> he said, "I'm already getting pumped up from just being in the home, being with the national anthem, and yeah. just getting fired up that way. I don't yeah. need the other, you know, music to get prepared. Yeah. I gotta soothe my soul and calm yeah, me down. Exactly. So it's pretty interesting because exactly. when I played football, I listened to rock hip hop i would just fire it up yeah football is, is, is totally different yeah you know you have to get that way you know what i mean you have to be that beast yep you can get that beast going inside that you gotta yeah some head back. yeah yeah <laughs> a, a lot of too relaxing you get lit up and, yeah. and that's why <laughs> that's why i was because he played uh he played a uh, safety so i mean he's he's head first every single place yeah. and like he said i listen to smooth r&b i'm like really i'm like i'm thinking brian dawkins i'm thinking yeah. like let's go yeah, yeah. so it's an interesting perspective yeah because yeah. you're saying that it that being the safety you're, you're kind of in control of the defense yeah. so he's like i needed to be relaxed like i'm not like a linebacker all i gotta do is just hit the purse as hard as i can yeah, exactly but, exactly so so when did you when did you first like when did you start playing basketball mm-hmm. and then when did you have an idea where like all right, you know this is this is kind of what I, this is what I want to do because I know you had a, a bit of a journey to get yeah. to the NBA. Yeah. So at what point was it like the turning point? Like, no, this is I'm going. This is me. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, I picked up a basketball when I was like seven years old, and I just got me hooked on the game. Period. And uh, then, you know, you always try to find that passion in life, or what you want to do, and you know, and basketball was that for me. You know, at seven years old, you know. 
I played football and I played baseball, but I always kept going back to basketball. Like literally, I would play during the winter months outside. You know, the ball wouldn't even bounce, but I'd be out there <laughs> shooting the basket. You know what I mean? So that was just the passion in, inside of me. And uh, but as I got older and started, you know, when I started playing in elementary, I was always one of the best players on the on the court. And then as you get older and it start to progress with your skills, I used to be outside practicing all the time. You know you know, four or five hours a day, you know, either playing with someone, if no one was there, I'd be out there working on my handles, working on my shooting. And, you know, I would play to the street light come on. And sometimes I play when the lights was on, when I didn't have to go home. <laughs> and I'd be out there by myself just shooting. You know what I mean? I, I tell the story, I used to play against Dr. J every night. You know what I mean? So I used to play Dr. J every night. <laughs> I end up beating Dr. J every single night. You know, so I'm playing them in my mind, you know what I'm saying? That's so awesome. Is is that passion that you have for the game is what drove me to, you know, work on my skills and get better at the game of basketball. But it wasn't until maybe my junior college days where I felt like, okay, you know, I may get an opportunity, and I have to give a lot of credit to my brother because once I got kicked out of school when my second junior college. I went home, started working for Safeway. And uh, my brother, he's like, man, come on, man, we're getting ready to go to the gym. And I'm like, man, I don't feel like going to the gym today. No, we're going to the gym. And so we used to go play pickup games. And that really got me back into like, okay, playing. And I remember a friend of mine coming home and he said that he used to walk in the gym and they talk about, man, John Starks in here killing people. <laughs> And so he was just out of college, and, and so we got to playing and competing against him. And um, then we used to play in this Pro-Am League where guys from Texas used to come down, professional guys, professional ball players used to be on some of the teams and what have you. And I used to always end up on the all-star team at the end of the Pro-Am, you know, along with these professional guys. And my brother said, you don't even know what you're doing, do you? <laughs> I said, he said, man, every year you're on these, these uh, all-star teams with these guys. And then finally I got back in school and ended up becoming a junior college All-American. But one of my coaches at Oklahoma Junior College told me one day, he said, John, he said, I didn't coach professional players and you just as good as any one of them. And that right there really got my juices going, knowing that I could possibly make it to the pros. Wow. Yeah. So – so credit to your brother for kind of pushing you to yeah. get back into yeah, it. Definitely. Older brother or younger brother? Older brother. Yeah, yeah, see, I would do the same thing because I'm the oldest brother, and if any of my other brothers were kind of down in the dumps, I'd be like, no, 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 get you up, let's go. Yeah, Especially not, they had no the talent. And you can see they had the talent, like, I'm not letting you waste this. Yeah. You know? I'm not letting you waste this that's, talent. So that's yeah. a good brother. Yeah, he was, he was uh, he could easily turn pros, but he got sidetracked by all the things that he was going through personally in his life. He, he was a football player. And he was a, a corner, and he was a hell of a corner. Like, he had numerous uh, scholarships at major D1 schools, but he didn't have the grades. And so he had to go to the uh, junior college NIA route. And, um, but he eventually got his life together. And, but he was one that, like, I looked up to. You know what I mean? He actually got me started looking at tape of myself. You know, he used to 
which is yeah. kind of weird. You don't want to always watch yourself. It's yeah, weird. Yeah, it's very strange. Was in high school, you know, he was a uh, high school at All-American. And uh, so he used to play the game. Then he used to get the tape and come home and watch himself. And he used to have me sit up there and watch it with him. Yeah. And so and he used to always pick out what he's doing wrong and what have you or what he did good and what have you. So he always, in the back of my mind, before I started doing that, and I started really doing that when I got to um, when I got to junior college, my, my third junior college when I became All-American. So I was watching tapes of myself to figure out what I needed to get better at and, and what was my weaknesses and what was my strength. And so I always, from that point on, started watching tapes and of myself just because he showed me what I needed to do. That's what Big Brother's supposed to do. It's supposed to show you the way. Yeah. Kind of get kind of over to you. Yeah. But to go back to cigars. So we're here at the Stanford Cigar Lounge in Stanford, Connecticut, smoking the Legend Series. Got to plug Stanford, yeah. Stanford Cigar. Gary, got, got to plug it in. We got to shout out to Gary. But um, I've never really, oh, I have, and I have never really liked it, but having a Connecticut with any kind of whiskey, scotch, I usually have like a coffee or like a beer because this doesn't, this is not a mild cigar because yeah. this is, yeah. this is a really good cigar. This is what we had at the event yeah. and I enjoyed it last time and I'm enjoying it again, but the Connecticut cigar with the McAllen super good. Yeah. So I don't know who the rollers are and who makes the cigars, <laughs> but they do a good job here because this yeah, is Rolando, a very, he does an incredible job down there. And shout out to Rolando. Quality, uh, you know, everything is about quality uh, control. Mm -hmm. You know, when you roll on the cigar, the draw had to be nice. Draw's great. What have you. And, and so, he makes sure before that cigar come out that factory that the draw test is great. Every cigar goes through it. And, uh, you know, we, we're excited that we, Gary always told me, he said, John, I don't want to put something out that's going to be garbage. For sure. You know, with your name on it. And so we had to make sure that we got it right. That's before smart. Before we put it out. Yeah. I mean, I totally get that. Now, is the Stanford Cigar Lounge the only place in person you can buy? Because you can buy them online, correct? Yeah, you can buy it online. Okay. You go to legendscigars.com. Uh, okay. And you can uh, purchase them online. Uh, we also sell them to uh, uh, golf courses. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Are you planning on expanding it, like getting into other lounges, or you kind of just want to keep it in-house? Yeah, we would like to do something like that. Uh, we just kind of take it. Take slow. it slow. Yeah, take it slow. And uh, as the business grow, you know, we continue to try to expand out. And, uh, you know, online business is definitely where you need to be nowadays. Yeah. Especially, especially right now. Especially now. <laughs> right now. Yeah, so, exactly. So if you had, you know, what is, you know, what's the one thing that you love about your cigars or what's the one thing you're super proud of when it comes to Legend Cigars? Well, the one thing that kind of makes Legend Cigars stand out from everybody else. I think yeah. the quality. Yeah, of it. Uh, we didn't hurt had uh, people that smoke our cigars and compared it to the premium cigars that's out there on the market, mm -hmm. and uh, and that's a, a big compliment. You know what I mean? For sure. Compliment, I should say, uh, that you get compared to those guys uh, that's been in the business for years, and uh, you know that's what we're most proud of. Quality control. I mean, that's that's one of the things that we certainly look for whenever we're smoking a cigar and people always ask us, you know, what are your favorite cigars? And it's such a tough question to answer. But yeah, yeah. The, the, the first thing is like, I want the consistency and the quality. Yeah. I want to know 
what I'm getting when I pick up that cigar. I don't want to question, is it going to be as good as last yeah, time? I, I want to know that, nope, when I pick that one up, I know exactly what I'm getting myself into. It's going to be good every single time. 100%. Yeah, well, you, you didn't have celebrities put out cigars, but a lot of them, you know, fall by the wayside because the quality is not there. Yeah. You know, we didn't have guys that uh, that put cigars out, you know, celebrities put cigars out and people say the cigar is not that good. They just got their name on there. But Gary didn't want to do that, you know what I mean? And I respect him for doing that uh, because, you know, me personally, like you say, when you pick up a cigar, not even just my cigar, any cigar, you want that consistency mm -hmm. in that cigar yeah. that you're getting a quality cigar because, you know, you're paying for it, you know, those dollars. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we're from New York, so we got to pay extra now. Yeah, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if you're living in Connecticut or New York or wherever, but if you're, if you're, I'm sure you're aware that the tax rate on cigars is going woo, yeah, way up. Yeah. And uh, it's pr it's probably good for you guys because, yeah, you know, you guys are in Connecticut, yeah, so good, good you guys, yeah, well, hopefully it doesn't come up here. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't <laughs> migrate, but. Because I think the tobacco laws in Connecticut are pretty, pretty good. I don't think they're. Pretty lenient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they pretty good. You know? And is that one of the reasons why you did Connecticut and not New York? Yeah, because you're originally from Oklahoma, correct? Yeah, I'm originally from Oklahoma. And then obviously I, I moved to New York. In, in Connecticut. Okay. So it just worked out. Got it. You know, okay. It just worked out. I mean, so plus, what made you pick Connecticut? I mean, from going from Oklahoma and yeah. then taxes. Well, then going to New York yeah. and it's even the taxes. Now you go to Connecticut. What yeah. made you pick I Connecticut? I lived in White Plains when I first uh, came here with the okay. Knicks. Okay. Uh, I was up here in White Plains, and uh, but I had a good friend of mine, Eddie Lee Wilkins. I don't know if you remember him. He played for the Knicks. Uh, he lived up here in Stanford, and uh, I used to come up here and visit him all the time. And uh, I like was looking around and like, man, this is a great place, you know what I mean? Very diverse and what have you. And uh, so my wife used to come up here with his wife and uh, she just got comfortable, you know, uh, with important. the city itself. Yeah, it's very important. Yeah. <laughs> got to keep so, the wife happy. Keep the wife happy. <laughs> happy wife, happy life. Yes, exactly. sir. Yes, sir. Uh, but uh, just truly got comfortable with the city and uh, – and uh, so we decided to move up here. And plus, our practice facility was only like 15 minutes. We used to practice in Sony Purchase. Uh, oh, okay. okay. Yeah, on yeah. that day. So it was just 15 minutes down the bar. Nice. Yeah, because I, I mean, just over a little over a year ago, I just moved to Westchester. So I'm about 15, 20 minutes south of White Plains. Yeah. But Stanford's right here. I actually lived in Connecticut for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, Connecticut is a very big cigar yeah. hub. And I mean, they make, obviously, their own wrappers, Connecticut Shade Wrappers. Yeah. So. When I moved here and I got into cigars, I learned all the stuff about cigars in Connecticut. So it's not a bad spot to have your own cigar shop. Yeah, plus they got some great golf courses here. Too. That too. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so let's so let's talk about golf. Actually, so we found out, Reese. Actually, right before this interview, we found out that you were a big a big <laughs> golfer, right? Yeah. And then that's actually how you got into cigars. Yeah. So. Did you start playing golf? Were you always a golfer? Or did you start playing golf after basketball? Or how did you get into golf? And then what yeah, made you fall in love with I the game? I actually started golf in 94 after that Houston debacle. <laughs> okay. That I had game seven. And, you know, I was down in the dumps, obviously. And uh, Herb Williams actually got me introduced into uh, golf. Uh, I went out with him one day. I didn't even know anything about golf. I uh, actually, I take that back. I, I picked up a club when I was in the uh, World Basketball League down in Memphis. Uh, one of my teammates played golf and went out and hit some balls, and it was horrible. 
<laughs> and so that was back in 89. So I didn't pick up a club until 94. Went wow. out and started playing. And it helped me actually kind of get over that series mm -hmm. uh, during that summer. And, uh, and this guy hooked on the game. You know, I couldn't hit the ball, get it off the ground and get it off the ground. And finally I got it off the ground. <laughs> it's like that one hit. Yeah. You know what I mean, where you pure it. He's like, wow. That's the addicting part. Yep. Because <laughs> we, like, we just had a ex-professional golfer on, and that's what he was saying. He's saying, you know, you can have a crap – you could be playing crappy all day, but you have one or two, three great shots that you're like, wow. That's what gets you back every single time, and that's the addicting part about golf yeah. is that just that initial hit, and you just see it fly, and it's like mm – -hmm. yeah. it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And it's when, when you have – when you put a series of them together, like you get a nice drive, it's perfect. Then you pick the next one, nice approach shot, 150 yeah. out, drop it, and then you hit a birdie, birdie putt, putt, and it's oh, and it's yeah. it's all three of them. And you, man, I just played that whole professional. <laughs> like, I could be a professional. And you're like, man, it's great. Exactly. It's just such a high. But yeah, it is. So so, being you know, on the basketball court, you are a fiery player. Yeah. I mean, you were getting under people's skin all the time. But golf is not like that. Yeah, exactly. So how did you, you know? How did you transition into that because being a competitor you obviously know you like you said before is you're always hyped up and you're ready yeah. to compete but golf's not like that so how did you transition into into golf well you, you you have to be so relaxed in golf you know what i mean to go out there like, you're not gonna play well mm -hmm. you know you're not gonna play well so you have to have that calm demeanor yeah you know i think about all the great rounds i had i was so relaxed <laughs> You know what I mean? I was so relaxed and it's like everything was coming off the club pure. And, um, you know, you just like the zone in. I treat golf like basketball. Golf and basketball are similar. That's why I think you have so many athletes that play golf. Uh, it keeps you competitive mentally, but not physically. Mm. Uh, so it keeps you engaged in the game itself. Golf is the same way like basketball. You got the Basketball, you got to put that ball in the hoop. Golf, you got to put that ball in the hole. Yeah, you know okay, that's I mean? interesting. I never yeah. thought of it like yeah. that. Yeah, and same thing with putting. Putting is like shooting a free throw. You know what I mean? <laughs> you like sit up there and concentrate on what you need to do, and you got to put that roll that ball into the hole. Um, it just have all the similarities that basketball have, and like I say, it's you can talk a lot of trash out there on the court, just on the court, just like you do in basketball. Yep. Everything is so similar. And I think why athletes get involved in that, and it's the, the fun that you have playing with other people. Mm. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with the game of basketball, mm -hmm. the fun you have playing with your teammates. You know what I mean? And golf is the same way as basketball. You can go out there and play with, you know, a group of guys, or you can go out there and play by yourself. Same thing with basketball. You can go out there and play with a group of guys, or you can go out there and, and shoot hoops by yourself. You get the same type of feeling that that's you do. A, that's a cool you know perspective. I mean? That's that's what golf uh, means to me. So, do you do you smoke a cigar every single time you play golf? Every single time. Yeah. I tried to do it, like you said, <laughs> without doing. Yeah, can't do it. Can't do it. You can't. You can't do it. You know what I mean? It's bizarre. I try to go through a round. I don't smoke as much when I'm walking the course. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But I, I do smoke a lot. Because there's no place to put the cigar yeah. down. You got a cart, you can put it in the car. Do you, have, you like have one of those like cigar caddies that you put on the on the yeah, cart and hold your cigar? Got, yeah. You got a little cup holder that there I There you go. Inside the cart. 
But yeah, I, I make smoke too around when I'm yeah. walking. You know what I mean? Because you know, walking people don't understand these guys are athletes that play golf. Because if you ever walk a golf course, where are you at? You yeah, for I mean? sure. Especially, Especially if you play often and yeah, you're in the hot yeah. sun, in 90 hot degrees sun, all yeah. day. No. You don't have a caddy and you're pushing that cart or carrying that bag. Yeah, I'm carrying you it. Out, you know what I mean? So you really don't think about smoking at that time. You know, you light it up on the first hole, <laughs> then maybe the 10th hole you light it going up, and then you just like kind of cruising through when you're walking. But when I'm riding, you know, I make smoke four, five, six. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Something like that. And on a windy day, the wind is smoking the majority of it. Yes, you know yes. I mean? So, yeah, we always tell people too, when you're driving too, it's, you ever see people like they're always driving, they're holding, I'm like, hold your cigar in. They go, yeah. why? So, because you're letting the wind smoke yeah, every yeah, cigar. Yeah. Like, pull it in. Don't yeah, let the yeah. wind eat it. And <laughs> I, have a, I have a torch like that for specifically the golf course. I usually don't, I usually just use a regular, yeah. you know, torch. But I've someone sent me a torch like that, and it's a it's a huge. It's like when you when you press it, it kind of cocks your hand back. Yeah. I'm like, what am I gonna do with this? And then after playing golf and trying to light a cigar, I'm like, it's so hard. I bought that. I bought a thing like yeah. that, and now it's just like, <laughs> and you're like, all right, this is it. Yeah, you need these. Yeah, well, you whip it out, and people are like, what is that for? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly yeah. what. I, that's I mean, exactly. you gotta hold it a little further. But yeah. It's, yeah. People are afraid. They, they're like, "Whoa, I don't want, I don't want that." I don't, I'm like, I've yeah. almost done it. Burnt my eyebrows yeah. off. I keep it like back yeah. here, and I'm like this. But that's what you need on the golf course. But yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any more of a sanctuary just being on the golf course yeah. with a cigar. If you're by yourself, it's even better with good people. Yeah. I mean, that's why so many people love it. Yeah. And no, no, it, it definitely is relaxing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a mini vacation that you get, you know, from the stress of life that you, mm -hmm. every day that you go through, you know, especially guys that, you know, go out and work, you know, very hard and stuff. So you get a chance to go, you know, play maybe nine holes after work and just kind of like unwind. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. The beauty of it. And you're outside, you're, you're, you're breathing the, the fresh air. Yeah. You're, it's, it's, that's why I picked up golf is I, it's just something about it. That's very peaceful, very relaxing. It's, you just you're you're having fun. You can like you said, do it by yourself. Do it with a bunch of guys. Mm -hmm. um, you could be trash talking all the guys. Yeah. You know, like you're not gonna make this putt. Yeah. Like twenty bucks says you <laughs> yeah, miss this putt. Right? And it's just the camaraderie with the fellas you're playing with. Yeah. Being outside, mother nature, not being cooped up, sitting. And it's like a mini vacation because yeah. it's five hours. You, yeah. you know, if you if you go have a golf weekend with a couple of buddies like we did. You can go up, play three rounds in a weekend, and yeah. it's a lot. It's a nice little vacation. The a only lot time, of cigars. The only time golf is not fun is when you have someone who's like, ah, and they throw their clubs around. Yeah. And I'm like, you're ruining the vibe. Like, yeah, you're bringing everyone like, down, man. I like, used to be like that. So did I. <laughs> I used to be like Same. that. <laughs> and I realized how, and I when I stopped, it was because I played golf with my uncle who lives in Florida, and he came up here, and he's kind of the one who told me how to play golf. Yeah. And we have a house upstate New York, and he came up, and we played golf, and I played bad, and I was just so angry. And he was like, yo, just have a good time. Like, just hang out. Like, And I was like, all right, all right, whatever. And then by the time I got home, I, I looked back. I'm like, you know, I just ruined a good time with my yeah. uncle, who I don't always mm -hmm. see because yeah. I was mad about golf. I'm like, yeah. I ruined the moment for myself and probably everyone around me. So after that, I was like, just shrug it off. You have yeah. a bad shot. Move on. That's what golf is good. You can do well the next shot. Yeah, so, it's funny that you say that because – I had to catch myself sometimes, you know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm like a two handicap. Yeah. And so, you know, you, when you start playing bad, you know you're better than this and mm -hmm. you get upset and you got, uh, you know, a foursome, maybe some people that you don't play with. Sometimes I just go out to a public course and I just join up with people. Yeah. 
And so you kind of catch yourself. You have to catch yourself and make sure that you don't ruin the round for them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's a good point. Yeah, because you don't want to. You're ruining everyone else's experience. You don't, yeah. you don't. No one wants to be around the Debbie Downer. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you, like it's better just to make a joke about it and stop being so and stop sulking in the corner. When yeah, but at golf, the end of the day, it's like. It's just golf, man. Like, yeah, exactly. It's not you're not playing in a tournament. It's not the NBA final. It's like it's just golf. Like you're yeah, out yeah. here having a good. You're trying to have a good time. Have a good. Remember to have a good time. Absolutely, exactly. Yeah. And I like how you said before about the mental aspect between basketball and golf, and it's like all sports. That's why you said athletes typically play golf too, is because the mental aspect in golf is it's not really a physical game. Yeah. Like you said, if you look at all the pros, everybody's got a nice swing. Yeah. They can all hit the ball. They can all putt. <laughs> Yeah. But it's can you keep the mental game in check for yeah. five hours? Yeah. yeah. Right. And a perfect example we talked about on the previous episode is when Tiger Woods on the twelfth hole of the Masters yep. scored a ten. Yeah. Yeah. But then he comes back the next six holes and gets five birdies. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm looking at him. I go, that is more impressive than somebody scoring minus twenty on the round of winning. Like yeah. that's more impressive because it shows you how strong their mental game is. Yeah. Where they can just wipe that last hole clean, be like, nope, I'm back. Next hole is a different hole. Yeah. And then and they go on and get five berries. It's incredible. And I think that translates into the game of basketball, going back to basketball again, because you may have a bad play, that one play, mm-hmm. then you have to block it out because you know you're going to come back down to the mm-hmm. end of the court again, and you can't be thinking about that last play that you had, that last shot you missed. That's why people tell me, man, he's just going to continue to shoot, shoot, shoot. Because I always try to block that. Yeah. Out. You know yep. what I mean? I always feel like the next shot is going to go in. The same thing in golf. You know? Yeah. I always feel like that next swing is going to be that swing. You know well, you I mean? think about it, too. It's like, like especially, you know, like you said, shoot or shoot. Right? Like, I was a, I was a shooting guard when I was yeah. playing. And it's like, every shot that you miss, I'm just thinking, I'm like, all right, well, if I'm a, you know, 40%, 50%, field goal shooter if yeah. i that means the next one's going in exactly it's like if i miss two that means the next two are going in yep. like you exactly. play the percentages like the more i miss the more that means the next 10 are going in right <laughs> yeah, so for sure for i'm sure. gonna shoot the damn ball like, i don't care i'm shooting this rock there okay go. there you go <laughs> wow i mean that's a good perspective and yeah. right i mean are you like do you do you still have the tendencies to talk a little trash when you're on the golf course you kind of whisper in oh, someone's yeah. ear like hey oh, you, you ain't talk, gonna do this I talk trash all time. <laughs> especially with my buddies you know what i mean we we try to get up underneath each other's skin you know what i mean like like you say you yeah know, 20 on that putt right there yeah yeah you know it could be a putt like this you know you put money down on it that putt becomes a lot harder you know what i'm saying yeah so, you know, no, nah, I, I always talk trash. That's awesome. But we, we always try to go and needle each other out there on the court. That's fun. And where did you pick that up? Like, where did you pick up that sense of trash talking and kind of just getting under people's skin? Because that t- that's a talent. The people, that's a talent. I can't do that. Yeah. I'm not good at that. And I mean, and, and it, I was, it kind of ties in what I was going to ask you too, is it's like, you seem like a very calm, relaxed guy. But on the court, yeah. you're talking trash. You're fired up, getting under yeah. people's skin. So, like, yeah. to tie into Eric, where does that come from? It... it I am very relaxed normally and laid back and what have you, but you just flip that switch when you go in and get into competition. And it's probably it comes from my older brother. You know what I mean? Is that way when we step out on the court, you know, he's my brother, but I'm going at him. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm not my brother. You know what I'm saying? When it's all over and done, you know, the game is over and done, then we back to being brothers. Yep. You know what I mean? So, but it, it just 
comes from him. He always talked noise to me. We could play this little game that we used to play when we were little because we didn't have a lot of money growing up. It was like table football. Okay. Like, yeah. like roll up a uh, you know piece of paper and make it into like a the Chinese football, the Chinese football thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You had to flick it at the end of the table. Yep. Get to the end of the table is a touchdown. <laughs> what have you? Yeah, what like three three pushes or something, or yeah, one flick or whatever. Yeah, down. yeah, yeah. And uh, so then he would score, uh, uh, you know, the touchdown. He get it at the end of the table without, you know, it going off. Then you used to have to hold up the field goal. You had to <laughs> yep. the field goal. He used to hit me right here. <laughs> all the time, I used to get ticked off. I used to get ticked off. This when I was younger, and then finally I got good at it. And I used to hit him in the head, and he'd be talking noise back and forth. You know what I mean? Yeah. You were probably practicing. You probably went oh, home. You'd be I'll like, "This, I'm gonna time. get this guy. <laughs> Put it up on the wall. I'm gonna yeah. get this guy. Exactly. Exactly. Wait till we play yeah. next time. Exactly. I've been practicing. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's just boys being boys. Because I got brothers too, and yeah. we're always constantly talking trash and just busting each other's chops yeah. and. It just comes with the territory, so exactly. I get it. Yeah, and I like it says where it's you know because I, when I was growing up, I was I was I had a trainer who always say um, uh, his name I forgot his name um, Jerry Powell. I don't know if that rings a bell, but I was training with this guy, and he would say, you know, like what what's your name? Like my name is Justin Isaac. He said, oh, I don't care what your name is. He goes on the court, you're Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> he goes on the court, you're Je- off the court. You could be Justin Isaac, whatever your name. Nice guy on the court, you're a killer. He goes, I don't care if you're playing your dad, your brother, your grandma. He goes, if they're the other team, you're coming for blood. He goes, your job is to kick their ass. Off the court, you can go back to being family and everything. So I like that when you said that with your brother. Like, we're on the court. We're on the course. We're on the court. We're playing tabletop football. It's game time. We're playing. And I don't care who you are, but I'm going to win. I like that that for sure. Exactly. That's good. (laughs) Well. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea how long we've been going. Uh, yeah, no we kind of get lost in the trans right now. But I don't know. We keep going, or if you if you want to. I, don't, I mean, what? How long? We, I'm good. We're about an hour. So, I mean, I, I think we had a good conversation. Going I think it's been great. I mean, we're probably going to take this conversation into there, so we can watch some football, hang out a little bit more, drink some more uh, scotch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is time we want to give the the red carpets yours. Tell everybody where they can find you, where they can purchase your cigars. This yeah. is kind of your time to okay. drop your plugs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful. So you can go to uh, Legend Cigars uh, to uh, purchase our cigars. Uh, we have a nice selection of cigars online. Uh, then I've talked about the Total Body Board. You can go to totalbodyboard.com uh, to uh, purchase Total Body Board, uh, as well as uh, we haven't got a website up yet for the uh, the paintbrush edger uh, yet, but that's soon keep on the lookout. Yep. Yeah, that's soon to come. Um, but I'm just excited about what the future holds. You know what I mean? And I continue to uh, do my job at the Knicks, uh, which we're doing an incredible job there. Uh, I work, I sit on the board of uh, Garden of Dreams, which I'm extremely excited about. Uh, what we've been doing, uh, you know, with the Garden Foundation and helping uh, tri-state families as well as young children uh, to uh, brighten their lives up. And uh, then my own foundation, John Starks Foundation, uh, that I've been doing since 1994 uh, to provide uh, scholarships to uh, uh, students in the tri-state area as well as from my hometown in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, We've been doing that since 1994 uh, to give these young kids a fresh start 
uh, at their future and uh, to help them get off to college. And so I'm excited about where the foundation is going and just, you know, being a family man, you know, just trying to enjoy uh, my wife and my kids and uh, making sure that uh, their lives uh, go uh, as they wanted it to go. So uh, I'm just happy and here smoking cigars and enjoying life. Man, God bless. to that, man. Well, yeah. John, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. For Thank coming on guys. the burn down, we yeah. appreciate your time. We appreciate you having us here at Stanford yeah. uh, Cigar Lounge. Yeah. Um, but to that, here's to much more future success. Yes. Cheers Amen to that. To burn down. <laughs> to burn down, baby. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thank you. Ah, all right. Well, that's it. <laughs>